Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihil kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, welcome back, alhamdulillah, to another podcast with Umfid. Hope you've been enjoying it so far because I certainly have. Really enjoying it and benefiting so far, alhamdulillah, with all the guests that we've had. Uh, of course, uh, this continues today. You, you must have heard already from quite a lot of um, international guests, but uh, alhamdulillah, Today we have someone uh, a bit closer to home, alhamdulillah. Um, he is uh, an imam, he is uh, a teacher, and he's also a writer, uh, who alhamdulillah I've had the, the pleasure of meeting on a few different occasions. Uh, but today, inshallah, we're going to have more of an in-depth discussion on a couple of things. So it gives me the pleasure to introduce our guest for today's podcast, Sheikh Asim Khan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah for having me. Barakallah for Sheikh. Welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, for the podcast. Alhamdulillah. Um, how have you been? Alhamdulillah, very well. It's yeah. a day of Friday. SubhanAllah, a day of uh, barakah and happiness. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much uh, for taking your time out. Um, you have studied quite extensively, alhamdulillah. Um, and uh, sorry, by the way, we're going straight into it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, alhamdulillah, you've, you've studied quite extensively. Um, you've traveled even to, to Cairo. You've, you've been to Egypt and you've studied there. You've studied the, the Arabic language and, and the Quran. Um, can you just tell us a bit about uh, how it was like in Egypt, um, a typical sort of day in the life of a student in Egypt and, and the sort of things that you, you got up to? Of course, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Salatu Wassalam ala Rasulillah. So, <clears throat> firstly, I'm still a student. Uh, I don't consider myself anything other than a student. Mm. Um, I began studying Islam seriously when I was in university. So, you might be aware I was studying pharmacy. Yeah. And uh, that's a long four-year journey. Mm. So, what happened is that it, it started off very strange. Before I got to university, I was with a friend who I was very close to. He was studying uh, at the same time in the same place. And subhanAllah, he actually failed his A-levels. And I remember coming back on the train, uh, he was obviously very depressed by his results. And I said to him, listen, why don't you go to Egypt uh, for a year and study? Like, mm. Because if it's going to take a year from now to go to uh, to reset or to go to university next year, yeah. why don't you go to Egypt for a year and study? So he actually took that advice and he went. And when he, got, when he was out there, he was telling me that this is amazing. Mm. And I'm learning so much stuff here. You should come as well. By that time, I already started my pharmacy degree. So some of the holidays came around and uh, he said, listen, come over. And the summer holidays for me was good, uh, almost three months. So as soon as I did my exams, final exams, I, I went out to Egypt. Yeah. And for those first three months, I did an intensive summer program. And um, I was like, this is for me. And then I came back the next year, summer holidays again and again and again. For the four, for the four years I was in university, every summer holiday is to go there. Um, what I found... The most inspiring about Egypt was the fact that you are in the presence of so many other people from different parts of the world. Mm. Um, for example, there are a lot of Russian brothers there. Okay. Some brothers from Chechnya, some brothers from Russia. And subhanAllah, they were very poor. So where I could afford to do the summer intensive programs, which were a bit more costly, they had to do the regular ones. Mm. And one of the brothers that we were living with, he had been there for quite a few years, he said that, you know, we should call them over for food. Because some of them, they don't eat meat except once a month. And oh. I was shocked. So when they came and we sat with them, uh, first of all, I noticed that their Arabic was like, wow, mashallah, <laughs> I was barely holding sentences together. Yeah. But the other thing that really affected me is that they don't even have much money. Mm. 
yet despite that they've come all this way here they're willing to live like you know a very basic life just so they can learn arabic so they can understand the quran and i think that really affected me it made me think subhanallah i've got so many more blessings in my life mm. uh when it comes to money and opportunities why isn't it why am i not as hungry as them to study the arabic to learn the quran so uh, that's that's where it began and then i haven't really looked back after that and in between the the journeys to egypt i continued the studies with uh, either over skype or in person with the scholars yeah. in this country but i'm still studying uh, maybe now there's more more teaching involved as well mm. but you know they say about teaching it's a form of teaching yourself yeah yeah uh, you must know that when you prepare for a class a dars a reminder you're actually benefiting yourself more than anybody else mm. yeah so that's why even in a hierarchy of uh, learning at the very top comes teaching yeah because when you teach you got to tell yourself listen if i'm going to tell people that this is what for example allah says in the quran or the prophet said in the hadith mm-hmm. i need to understand it myself of course yeah. yeah if i don't understand it myself how can i assume the position of telling other people mm, yeah. interesting you know what's interesting is is the fact that you were at university mm. and it's not like you were studying it like you were studying quite an intense course but at the same time you managed to like somehow fit fit it in in your holidays it was crazy you know i remember yeah. that So you do your exams okay and every student knows that when you do your exams you don't know whether you passed or failed. If you failed you got to do a reset and when mm. you have to do a reset it's usually uh straight after the summer holidays mm. right? So you can ask my friends why is it so I've done the exam I've take all my notes with me on the aeroplane to Egypt wow. and then I would wait for the day for the results. But okay, when the results like, came and Hamdullah kind of passed, yeah. that's it. You know, that, those notes, Hamdullah, will not come into use again. Wow. So it was, it was touch and go. But you know what, subhanAllah, that is, it's worth it. It's worth mm. that, that pursuit, you know. The, if you look at it, or my pharmacy degree, Alhamdulillah, it's qualified me to have a career, to get a good job, stability. Mm. But is it really more valuable than the Arabic that I learned? Like how many other benefits have been unlocked because of that? Mm. that maybe we will not know uh, not know until we meet Allah. Yeah. So so what are the so what, because you know I feel like a lot of people especially the young students they feel like it's either or. It's like yeah. either I go down the path of seeking this sacred knowledge or I go to university. Yeah. But it seems like you've sort of you, you did both. And so it is possible that means, right? You have to do both because yeah. if you're idealistic about these things you're never going to progress in your life at all. If you think about it, even the job that you get a lot of us the jobs that we have we don't fully enjoy them mm. we may not even maybe just partially enjoy them some of them some of us don't enjoy them at all but we realize that it's not an ideal world so <laughs> i need to do whatever job i can get if mm. it's a job that i 100% enjoy fantastic if it's 50% i'm not going to say you know what, i'm going to wait for that perfect job yeah so if we think like that when it comes to <clears throat> our everyday life why not then about the deen of allah If I can't go to the best country in the world to study with the best teachers, what about the local teachers? What about studying from home? Mm. Why don't I have that same attitude? Uh, many of the scholars they say, for example, Allah says, "Fattakullah mustata'atum fi Allah as much as you can." The idea of istita'ah, ability, it differs from person to person. Yeah. So the expectation expectation of Allah towards us is based on our personal abilities. Someone has ability to go around the world and study. Other per- another person doesn't have that ability he'll be judged according to his ability you'll be judged according to yours just make sure you max out that ability that Allah has given you mm. so the thing is you know when you when you go and you pursue like a degree 
it seems it seems to be like a tangible end result you know you get the degree yeah. you can get a job uh and it, and it, uh, you know i guess things have changed nowadays but like you you know where you're going right yeah but a lot of people they have this idea you know if i do study arabic okay yeah, i benefit I, I start understanding the quran but really where can that take me and i know you said that the benefits that you saw from studying yeah it far sort of outweighed um the benefits of you going to university so do you mind just touching on that a bit like what what are the benefits so I think when you start learning Arabic, the first immediate, uh, um, how can I say, moment of inspiration that you mm. feel is when you're standing in salah and the imam's reciting. Yeah, yeah. And there's just one word he says, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, I know that word. I know mm. what that means. And you're like, this is real. Mm. This actually is bringing me closer to Allah. Ah. And I think for people that are studying Arabic, one of the key reasons a lot of us fail and restart is because we don't get the the motivation correct or we don't get that motivation on a regular basis so why i always try and advise students is that look whoever your teacher is ask them to show you the benefit of what you learned in terms of theory in the quran in the very lesson itself once you can piece together what you're learning with the quran directly then that becomes a sort of motivation that keeps you going long term and that's mm. really important when you're studying arabic for me it was one of the most difficult things i'm not some people their mind is like designed to study languages mm. you can study multi languages five languages six languages but some people they struggle yeah and i'm one of those people so it's a long road and i remember when i started one of the brothers said listen studying arabic is like climbing a mountain all right it's only when you get to the top that you get some enjoyment or benefit mm and uh it was a good piece of advice at the time but later on I realized that's not true it's just the way you're learning it if you were to learn with every step you're shown the benefits of that from the quran yeah. or from the hadith or from whatever it's like a moment of enjoyment every single time you learn something so it doesn't have to be like a mountain mm. yes it could be like you know a tiny hill that you walk over every single lesson inshallah yeah so So let's say someone now is is on this path of um studying the Arabic language or the Quran whatever whatever it might be um and now like they they thinking to themselves you know like what can I do with this mm. you know like is it is it just the fact that I'm just going to become a teacher okay. um or you know much like you yourself you're an imam so like maybe imam is not for them mm. like what else can I do with this you know so what 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 sort of like not career options but you know like so something that the, the end result sort of thing from your experience what else can you do with with the with the quran with with these studies if you want to look from a career perspective mm. i remember when i was studying egypt there were many non muslims studying arabic alongside me right. and some of them were studying <clears throat> for what we would call some dubious reasons maybe to become <laughs> secret service agents right. to work in the arab world uh, other people were doing it to become teachers and professors etc yeah, etc uh you can become an interpreter for example a translator mm. there's there's money in all of those things uh do i advocate you studying arabic for those reasons not really mm. uh i think that one of the biggest benefits of learning arabic is so you can teach your children how to worship allah right after yourself uh, my daughter one or well, my eldest daughter she's 8 years old so whenever she reads quran to me um she's got this habit now where she was finish an ayah say baba what does that mean mm Yeah, and I'll be like, oh, so abasa wa tawalla. That that means that, you know, once upon a time the person he he frowned, okay. uh, because the blind man came to him, and then she's like, okay, and jahun arma. What does what does that mean? 
and just having to the ability to yeah. give small insight to your child about Allah's words mm-hmm. is it should be the more, the main reason why you learn Arabic you know because you directly are being the one who takes their hand and brings them closer to Allah by Allah's tawfiq mm-hmm. uh, so I think good intentions they'll go a long way uh, in studying in studying Arabic at the end of the day it should be a religious pursuit before a worldly one but no doubt you know Allah is uh, the one who gives barakah and everything so it could take you down a path where mashallah it benefits you both in dunya and akhirah inshallah so you you went to Egypt you studied in Egypt alhamdulillah you had that opportunity do you have to go to a place like Egypt a place like Medina to study Arabic um, or can you study locally because you mentioned studying locally so is that yeah. a possibility as well uh, definitely today more than before. Mm. Uh, I mean, you can study with great teachers from around the world from the comfort of your home, yeah. from your laptop. But uh, what's the best thing you could do? The best thing, without a doubt, is to have what we would call an immersion type of program, where mm. which is where you go to an Arab country, um, which unfortunately the limit, there's limited selection now because of a number yeah. of reasons. But to go there, and even if it's for like three months, Yes, which could be a summer holiday. Uh, you know, you're a father, you've got kids, but summer holidays coming around the corner, take them with you for three months. Or you're a student or you're working, you can take a sabbatical, go for a little while. What that will do, it will do a couple of things. Firstly, what it will do, it will give you exposure. Mm. So you're studying here, but you don't really know the vastness of Arabic, all the different types of subjects that they, they are possible for you to study. But when you start, when you go there and you see other students studying, people that have progressed really far, you see, oh, so those are the books, those are the teachers, those are the subjects, and this is where I am. So that's where I need to go. So it gives you that kind of roadmap. The mm. other thing is that it gives you motivation because you feel like a part of a community yeah. who are all in the pursuit of <clears throat> learning Arabic. And then obviously you're forced to speak Arabic on a number of occasions with people. Mm. Uh, one of the brothers, he had an excellent idea. What he would do is he would ask his teacher to come live with him uh, for a weekend every month or every two months, I can't remember. Yeah. And uh, that was an amazing idea because for that weekend, you're going to speak to your teacher only in Arabic and you're going to be forced to you know, uh, mm. look up so many words in the dictionary and your teacher's going to correct you so many times and by the end of it, mashallah, you know, you're really going to benefit. So if you could do that just once, yeah. what that will do, that will put you on a path. When you come back, you can continue that path by the online study or local teachers or even self-study. All yeah. of that is possible. So that's what I would call the best scenario. Obviously, what is better than all of that is to go there and to pursue a degree mm. yeah, in Islamic studies, which is preceded by uh, some kind of Arabic course. But a level lower than all of that is, listen, look, there's lots of stuff online. Yeah. yeah. Make a plan yourself to, for example, study the Medina book, one, two, three. Uh, there's lots of videos on YouTube that you can watch. You can make your own notes and find a local teacher and progress. Well, why is it that you have to look for the best case scenario? Do mm. whatever you can. Uh, recently, Subhanallah was teaching Ajurumiya and the, the author of the book, Ibn Ajurum, uh, that piece of work is, you know, the primer into Arabic grammar for thousands and thousands of students, right? Mm. It's the first book you go to to learn Arabic grammar. What I was very surprised learning his biography is that Ibn Ajurum actually only studied locally mm. for the, the, the for most of his life. Only then he went from Fez in Morocco to Makkah al-Mukarramah and he met many other scholars and then he pursued further studies. Mm. So he became a scholar from his lo- from his local 
place of residency. Yeah. Then afterwards, he explored <coughs> further options, and so a lot of scholars they say, you know, that was the sunnah of a lot of the scholars, mm. that they would only uh, seek knowledge outside of their town when they had benefited from the knowledge that was in their town. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I think a lot of people they have this, uh, which is true as well. I mean, uh, a lot of our scholars, especially scholars of the past, they did travel, right? They traveled yes. a lot. They traveled to different lands to meet different scholars. Um, but what's what's interesting is the point you just mentioned there is that actually they benefited from the scholars of their locality, and then they would sort of they would yeah. sort of move on, which is yeah. which is I guess we can learn a lot from that today. Uh, because I think I don't know if you agree with this. Maybe it's just me, but is it becoming? It's a good trend, but is it becoming a trend in the sense that people are just like they only feel like they can learn Arabic if they go to Egypt, if they go to Medina, mm. and there's this trend now, like you know, now I have to go abroad, I have to go abroad, but they haven't like whilst they've been here, they haven't utilized what they have. So have you have you seen the, have you observed this trend as well? You know, I'll tell you about brother Subhanallah. He um, it's very very uh, difficult. To hear his story, yeah, but uh, it shows that you know this is something common amongst a lot of people, which is very unfortunate. So he went to Egypt, mashallah, to study to do hifz of Quran, mm. and he stayed out there for about a year, and he managed to memorize I think ten ten paras, uh, as they say, and uh, then he had to come back for some financial reasons. Now this brother, that when he came back, that was about four years ago. Yeah. Now, because he's uh, someone I see on a regular basis, whenever I sit with him, one of the things he always says is, you know, I'm going to go to Egypt soon. Soon I'm doing X, Y, Z, and soon I'll be able to get a ticket and go back out there and complete my hivs. He'd been saying that from the first day he came back. Mm. And now it's been almost five years. Wow. And he's still saying that. Yeah. That's crazy that he has put off memorizing the Quran for five years just for that one opportunity to go back to Egypt. I mean that doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. And a lot of people are stuck in that idealistic, you know, mentality, and that that's something that we need to get away from. Mm. Yeah, we definitely need to get away from that. So let's talk about the Quran, um, because this seems to be your area of interest, uh, and it's something that even when we've heard your your talks, you always manage to somehow bring it back to the Quran. So what was it about the Quran from your own personal experience that? Because, you know, you can study so much, right? You can just go yeah. into fiqh, you can go into hadith. What, what, what was it about the Qur'an that really drew you in? And, you know, was there, was there something that happened? Was there, was, is there like a story? Is there, was there a point in your life where you felt like, you know what, it's the, like, it's the Qur'an? Like, what was, yeah. that, what was that light bulb moment for you? Uh, I th- well, in the beginning, I used to like to study other topics. Mm. A, lot, a lot of students of, student of knowledge, they like to study other uloom, for example, fiqh. Yeah. So even before fiqh, I used to really like to study Musal al-Hadith, science of hadith, very technical, very dry type of subject. I remember in Egypt when I was studying it, one of the brothers said, listen, shouldn't you be studying like Quran uh, or, you know, hadith or fiqh? I was like, no, 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 no. You know, that's for those guys down there. This is the real stuff, you know, this is the proper knowledge. And then afterwards, I was like, it's interesting, it's good, but subhanAllah, is it really benefiting me? Like, am I increasing in my ibadah of Allah, my understanding mm. of this world that we live in, etc., etc.? So I moved on to fiqh. I got really into fiqh, like really went into it properly. And I was like, this is the one. This is the proper subject for me. Yeah. And then afterwards, I got into aqidah. Okay. And into aqidah was, <laughs> into reputation. <laughs> and I was like, this is the knowledge. Yeah. Well, that is good. This is the knowledge. Mm. But then, subhanAllah, Allah Jalla wa'ala, He showed me that 
all of those things are important, but they don't come close to the Quran. And the turning point for me was just reading a translation of the Quran. That's mm. what it was. I bought a translation because my uncle, may Allah preserve him, he always used to uh, impress upon us the importance of Quran. And he used to say, this Quran, buy a translation. And he said, make sure the pages become worn out. Yeah, because you see my Quran, the ends of it become yeah. worn out. This is how your Quran should be. And I thought, okay, that's good. So I used to keep it on me on the trains to and fro, uh, work or uni, reading, reading, reading. Mm. And it wasn't a brilliant translation. And I want to make a point about translations, but it wasn't a fantastic translation. But what it did is it opened my eyes. Yeah, uh, The Quran is um, amazing. It talks about so many different things. And I came with the attitude that Quran, I love it, I respect it. But does it really talk about things that I need to know? Does it really relate to my personal life, my dilemmas? Does it have the answer to my questions? And mm-hmm. Subconsciously, the answer actually was no. Yes, unfortunately, uh, it was actually no. And when I began to read it, I began to change my perspective on that. Actually, it does talk about a lot of the things that I need to know about. And then with Arabic came a more deeper reading. And then from that day, I haven't looked back. I've only wanted to study Quran. All Mm. the other sciences are important and we have continued to study them, but not with the same vigor, with the same passion as the Quran mm. and that has to be number one for everyone as in like someone might think okay you can you can you can study the Arabic language you can start to understand the Quran but they might think you know how deep can you really go into it you know mm. like how, you study it for a number of years you, you, some people you hear seven eight years up to ten years but a lot of people think you know really how much can you study the Quran you know how is it that people are still you, you know you, you yourself said Sheikh that yeah. you're still studying right you're still a student yes so what would you say to those people that think, you know, how much more could you study? The Quran is a bahr. The Quran mm. is an ocean. And uh, if you imagine that you are uh, going on um, a dive, okay, uh, what do they call it when you go deep into the sea? Like scuba diving. Scuba something? diving, yeah. yeah. Let's say you're scuba diving. When you scuba dive, the f- your first impression when your head goes under the water is, Oh my days, this is amazing. Another life, the mm. coral, the fish, the colors. You're like, you're amazed. Yeah. And then you realize that this is <clears throat> not even 0.1% of the ocean. Mm. And if I spend my whole life swimming around the ocean, I would not have enough time to cover the entire ocean. Yeah. Even now they say that human beings, they only know about 5% of the yeah. entire ocean, what it contains. And the ocean is more than a third of the whole world. That puts things in perspective. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that that uh, if all the trees were made into pens and the ocean was made into ink and then another seven oceans came to replace that ink with more, they would not be able to write down the kalimatullah, the words of Allah. So now if you're a student of the Quran, you're thinking, wow, mm-hmm. that's what I'm up against. That is intimidating. Yes. But that also at the same time is very inspiring that, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this for my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to stop enjoying this because this is just going to uncover more and more and more. So Imam Al-Tabri, rahimahullah, he's one of the first to author a full tafsir work. And that tafsir work is with us until today. Uh, he said, uh, I'm amazed at the person who recites Quran and doesn't understand its meaning. How does he enjoy his recitation? Mm-hmm. Like he was amazed. Like, how can a person read Quran and not know what Allah is saying? Like, how do you enjoy your recitation? And this is the thing: when you start learning Quran, you start to enjoy life. Mm. 
Mm. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche, you actually do because the Quran brings meaning into your life. You feel like, you know what, this is what was missing. Mm. This is what is going to complete me. So why would you then turn your back on that? SubhanAllah, may Allah give us tawfiq. I mean, so what has amazed you the most about the Quran um, throughout your journey? It could be right at the beginning or even until today. Like, what do you feel like really, you know, has amazed you so far? So uh, at the moment, it's the stories of okay. the Quran. Um, and there's a lot of them, right? There's the a lot Quran. of them, SubhanAllah. There's a tremendous amount of stories in the Quran. And one of the most fascinating things about the stories of the Quran is that we tend to read them as lessons from history mm. but they actually actually lessons from the future okay so if you read surah al-anbiya 21st chapter of the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will relate to us more than 17 historical figures and their stories or mm. parts of their stories people that came way before the prophet going back thousands of years but before he mentioned them he said laqad anzalna ilayka al-kitab fihi dhikrukum afala ta'qilun that mm. no doubt about it, we sent down this book to you and in it is your reminder. So you're thinking, no, it's about them. Allah said, no, yeah. it's about you. Afala ta'qilun, won't you use your intellect to understand that? What does that mean? It means that Allah Jalla related those stories for your benefit. And not just that, it can mean it's not even about them, it's about you. Like right. when you read their stories, you're reading about your own life mm. in that the things that they went up against you're going to go up against as well. So the way they dealt with it is the way you should do, do with it as well. Now, when you read, reread those stories, from that perspective, yeah. they become alive. Yeah, they come alive. So today, for example, in the khutbah, I spoke about a story of Qarun. Right. And uh, Allah says in Surah Qasas about his story, that Qarun, uh, pe for people that don't know about him, he was like uh, the Bill Gates of his time. Okay. Right. In terms of the money. Yeah. But in terms of his uh, vanity, he was like Floyd Mayweather, basically, right? <laughs> so this guy is the most wealthy person in the world. Yeah. And uh, he's so vain. He loves to show off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Allah described <clears throat> that his money, the, he used to keep it in vaults. And the keys for those vaults, they would be carried by a group of men who would become tired because they were so heavy. Imagine then what how much money he yeah, had, right? Yeah. So when it came to Qarun, Allah said that, what he would like to do is he used to like to come out in public showing all of his money, all of his wealth. Yeah. That he came out in front of his people uh, decked out, basically. He wore his best clothes. And I'm thinking if he lived today, he'd probably be wearing Gucci and Prada and yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. If he was driving a car, probably a Bentley or something yeah. better than that. And he had an entourage of 250 people. Some of them Mufassirin mentioned that. Wow, okay. So he's come out in let's say the high street or let's say Westfield or something mm. and he's dressed to impress and he's got all of this riches okay being flaunted in people's faces Allah said uh, people that crave the life of the dunya they said وَيْنَنَا uh, woe to us only if we had what Qarun had إِنَّهُ لَذُو he has been given so much money mm. and I thought to myself you know what pause that story think about today social media what kind of people do we follow? Usually rich and famous celebrities, sports stars. Yeah. And when you go through the Instagram pages and their Snapchat channels here, what are they usually doing? They're usually flaunting their money, mm. showing people all the nice places they went on holiday, the nice food that they get to eat, the expensive clothes that they get to wear. And what do people say when they see those pictures? They say, man, if only I could have that. Yeah. 
Yeah, if only I could have money like that, if only I could dress like that, if only sisters, for example, say, if only I could have skin like that, mm. if only I could hair like that and eyebrows like that. Mm. And that makes them feel less about themselves. It makes their self-esteem drop and plummet. Recently, I was reading in The Guardian that they found a correlation between young adolescent <clears throat> girls and their anxiety levels yeah. correlating with social media use. Mm. More social media is, is causing more anxiety. Why? Because you see a fake life you know forget all the filters and everything yeah let's say it is genuine pictures yeah that's one second from their day and they're making out like that's their whole life mm. yes that's fake on one level another level is fake because that's what you see but what about here sure, sure. how do they feel do they feel content do they feel happy are they feeling on top of the world maybe not yeah maybe they're the opposite but that's not what you see so Allah said when in the time of Qarun People crave to be like him. Mm. But what happened to him? Allah said, فَخَصَفْنَا بِهِ وَبِدَارِهِ الْأَرْضِ Allah caused the earth to open up and swallow him and his house. Why did Allah mention his dar as well, his house? Because when people used to walk past it, they'd be like, man, I wish I lived in a house like that. That's a yeah. nice house, man. And Allah said, let me show you what I think of this person. What he represents of pride, vanity, arrogance, it's not even worth being on my earth. Right. It's worth being inside the earth So mm. don't be like him Yes Don't try and be like him And also Don't follow people like him yeah, yeah. Today in social media People like to follow those people mm. uh, Like the people like to follow Qarun But Allah said You don't want to follow him Because if you did follow him You'd be following him Into the earth mm. Yes And the other thing is Who was the person On the other side of the spectrum Musa alayhi yeah. He didn't have a lot of money he didn't have a lot of popularity, okay? And people always used to try and disrespect him, made his life difficult. Mm. But he was the hero. He was the guy to follow. He yeah. was the one that, you know what, Allah loved. And if you followed him, he would lead you into paradise by Allah's mercy. So in our times, think about who you follow. Sometimes we only follow people based on hype. Mm. We should follow people based on ideas, on belief, on how close they are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah? So stories yeah. is one big thing for me, like in the Quran... We need to reread those stories. There's so much to learn. Wow. So it's interesting how, again, you um, you just took one like snapshot mm. from that story, which is of Qarun, and then you, you made it relevant. Because um, a lot of people nowadays, they think, you know, the Quran doesn't, doesn't really relate to me. You know, yeah. these are, like you said, stories, for example. These are stories of, you know, people of the past and it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't you know, relate to us. Yeah. Or, you know, you have some of these rulings, like nothing to do with me. You know, yeah, Salah, Zakat, that's, that's about it. So it's, it's amazing. I mean, can you do that with the whole Quran, what you just did there? Is it possible to make the, Quran, the entire Quran relevant or is it just, just small parts of it? From the beginning until the end, it's possible. Right. It, all it takes is a level of understanding and knowledge. Mm. But it's, it's an attitude that needs to change. The attitude that needs to change is the Quran is a message from Allah to humanity. Mm. It's a message. So when someone writes you a message, they expect you to read all and understand all as it relating to you, yeah. not to somebody else. Yes. أُبَلِّغُكُمْ رِسَالَاتِ Rabbi. The Prophet said to them, I came to deliver my Lord's letters. Risalat means letters. Mm. So Allah sent us letters. Yes, Surah Fatiha is one letter, Al-Baqarah is another letter, and all of them are meant to be read and understood and applied by us. It's true some verses are more of a challenge yeah. to apply than <clears throat> others. But you can find a way when you, look at, when you read them from the right perspective. For example, 
uh, in Surah Al-A'raf, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that uh, as for the Quraysh, the people uh, who lived in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and were idol worshippers, إِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاحِشَةً أَوْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ When they would engage in indecency and uh, injustice, they would say, وَجَدَنَا عَلَيْهَا آبَاءَنَا وَاللَّهُ أَمَرَنَا بِهَا They would say that when they were questioned, like, why do you guys do that for? That's bad, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Their response was, listen, this is how we found our fathers do things. Okay, This is our culture. Mm. This is our values. Right? Who are you to question that? And on top of that, Wallahu amarana biha. God made us do it. Now, fast forward 21st century. And one of the main ideas that they try to propagate is that, listen, if you want to choose your sexual orientation, it's fine because you know what? It's part of your DNA. Like, that's who you are. God made you like that. So for religious people, they're like, whoa, I didn't look at I didn't realize it's like that. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thoughts that run through people's minds. So the Quran is saying, hang on a moment. That's not a new argument. Go back all the way 1400 years. In the time of the Prophet Sallallahu they came with two arguments. Number one, our fathers did that. Mm. Yeah. Example, you're the only guy in uni without a girlfriend. Okay. So people are like, listen, bro, you know, why don't you have a girlfriend? You're a good looking guy, man. And he's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't do stuff like that. I'm, I'm Muslim, I'm religious. Yeah. And they're like, bro, what's wrong with you, man? Everyone does it. My mom and dad met each other in a bar. Like, you're crazy. You're the only one. And that's like the Quraysh, where they said, our fathers do like this. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you being the odd one out? Second reason <clears throat> is Allah ordered us to. Today, we say DNA ordered us to. Mm. Our genes ordered us to. So Allah says, commenting on those arguments, Allah would never order you to do something bad, something indecent. As if to say that you may feel inside an inclination to do something bad, Mm. but that doesn't mean God wants you to do it. That's like a temptation that we all have. Yeah. If everyone was able to act on their impulse, <laughs> there would be chaos in the whole world. Mm. If a person feels like stealing, you'd be like, listen, it's part of my DNA to steal, you know. Don't stop me now. Do you yeah, get it? Yeah. So the Quran is like giving historical arguments which are then rehashed later on in our times. And the really worrying thing is that people get taken aback by it. They're like, wow, it sounds like a, a really good a rational argument here, man. Like, you know, it's part of our DNA. So like, mm. what, what do we say about that as Muslims? And I'm thinking, you know what? Read the Quran, man. The Quran will tell you. The Quran will tell you that this is what people have said before. Mm. And this is what we should be thinking about it too. So that verse is a historical verse, right? But like I said, it's got a future lesson inside it. Mm. It's just about the attitude. Very interesting. So there's something, there's a concept that a lot of people, they have, they have, they have been exposed to, um, which is known as tadabbur. Mm. Um, and we'll come to maybe how you would translate that word, because it's known as um, to ponder over the Quran, yeah. right? And there are actually verses in the Quran that speak about this as well. Yes. Um, about this, this concept of tadabbur and, you know, pondering over the Quran. Yeah. So firstly, um, can you just tell us a bit about tadabbur and um, maybe even present an example as well? Um, of you know what we can gain from from pondering over the Quran. Okay, so firstly, there's two extremes when it comes to this idea of pondering and reflecting over the Quran. Yeah. The first extreme is that listen, that is not for us. That's for the elite, the scholars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and we and the Quran, you know, there's going to be a respectful distance that you got to keep with it. Okay, mm-hmm. don't start to dabble in those things. And in no circumstances should you try and engage your intellect with the Qur'an. 
that's an extreme. Unfortunately, that extreme is actually quite rampant. Very yeah. common, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very common. Like, you know, who are you to like start reading the Quran and yeah, start yeah. thinking about it? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He condemned that extreme. Mm. Like you mentioned, a verse, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمَّا عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Allah says, don't they ponder over the Qur'an? And this questioning here, أَفَلَا, is known as the isifham inkari, which is mm. like a question of contempt. A rhetorical question, as you say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Why don't they contemplate over the Qur'an? Is it the case that their hearts have locks? Now, the amazing thing about that verse, it appears in Surah Muhammad, and Surah Muhammad is addressed to the hypocrites, the munafiqun. Mm. Allah is condemning munafiqun for not doing tadabbur. What then about Muslims? <laughs> wow. And munafiqun, they are in the yeah. lowest parts of the hellfire. So the people at the bottom of hell, Allah is saying, your problem is you didn't do tadabbur of Quran. Mm. What then about people that do believe in the Quran? Yes, and do worship Allah with sincerity. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that people they open the Quran. They're like, "This is, means whatever I want it to mean, man." Yeah, it's a book yeah. of interpretation. Like you know, if I want it to mean this, it can mean that. If I want it to mean that, it can mm. mean that. It's like you know when you go to an art exhibition and people are standing around a painting. Like you know, what does that mean to you? Like it's that's about love and peace. And he's like, "No, no, no. That's about war, man. That's about yeah, yeah. that's about violence." And someone comes and says, "Listen." It can mean whatever you want it to mean. You want it to mean love and peace? Fair enough. You want it to mean hate and war? Fair enough. That's another extreme. Yeah. Allah says people, they say things about Allah, they have no right to say those things. Mm. So the balance is in the middle. Where a person, once he understands what Allah has said, then he needs to deliberate and contemplate over that. Mm. Now sometimes a verse is very easy to understand. For example, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen All praise and thanks is due to the master of the universe You don't need to be a scholar To really understand the basic meaning of that, right? Mm. So now that you've understood That all praise and thanks belongs to Allah The master of the universe Now let's go to the second level which is contemplating Now if all praise and thanks is due to Allah What does that mean for me personally? Well, it could mean that I should thank Allah more I should yeah. praise him more because he deserves all praise and thanks. And mm. why doesn't praise and thanks come from my lips as often as it should do? The other thing is that if Allah is Rabbil Alameen, the master of the universe, that means there's a relationship between me and Allah. And the relationship is if he's the master, I am the slave. The slave yeah. Do I live like a slave? What does a slave live like? <clears throat> Think about slave-master relationship in this world. The slave, he listens to the orders of the master. When the master says do, the slave does it. When the master says don't do, the slave doesn't do it. But the difference between the between Allah being the master and us being the slave is that Allah only asks us to do the things that are good for us. Yeah. Whereas the master in this life only asks to do things that are good for him. And when it comes to Allah, Allah only tells us to do the things that will benefit us, will help us, will make our lives better. Mm. And the opposite is the case for the master of the dunya. So then you're thinking, okay, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. One lesson I just got from that is, Man, I should be more grateful to God. Yeah. Second lesson, is, second lesson is, am I really living like a slave of God? Because Allah is the master and I'm the slave. So that is not difficult. Yeah, no, it's not. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a genius to do that. <laughs> the Quran came for humanity, like I said. So every person will be able to make the dabur according to their ability. And the ability increases the more Arabic you know, the more you study the Quran, and the more you engage your mind and your heart. Mm. So the same verses can be reread, and you find more gems in them, yeah, uh, more lessons in them. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, when you read the books of Tafsir, you find some incredible things. Yes, I'll give you another example. Uh, Allah Subhanahu wa says, "Kitab uh, anzalnahu ilaykum mubarakun liyadabbaru ayatihi wa liyatadakkara ulul albab." Surah Sad. Allah says that this book, Kitabun, we sent it down to you, Mubarak. And anything that has barakah gives goodness more than expected. Allah celebrates the Quran as something that contains an unimaginable amount of goodness. Like you couldn't imagine how much goodness it has for you. Yeah. Then Allah says the reason we sent it down, Liyadabbaru Ayati, is in order to reflect over the verses. Which is interesting because for a lot of people, the reason they have the Quran in their life is either to recite it, or to get rid of black magic, yeah. or when the person getting married and the Imam Sahib comes out and he's going to read some Quran, etc., etc., right? Yeah. Or to hang it around the rearview mirror, you know, so the insurance <laughs> premiums don't go up that much. <laughs> so those are the kind of reasons. But Allah yeah. said, no, the first reason why we read the Quran is not for those reasons, even though they're all good to a certain extent, it's in order for you to use your intellect to, to ponder over what I said. Mm. That's the first reason. The second reason is to become affected. To become affected by what Allah said. Yeah? And both go hand in hand. Once you ponder, you get affected. Okay? And then Allah said, Who can do this? Ulul albab, which means people of lub. Lub is the inner core of something. And it refers to the aql, the intellect. Mm. But Allah never said people of intellect. Allah said people of albab, which means that the difference between aql and lub. And the scholars say the difference is the lub is the innocent mind, the sincere mind, not the intellect that's being tainted by preconceived ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So some people they have a distorted understanding of God or the Quran. And then when they read the Quran, they only see problems. They only have criticisms mm. and they ask lots of dodgy questions. But the same verses are read by another person who has a sincere heart, who loves Allah, and they find the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the scholars, he made tadabbur of this verse, okay? So, tadabbur on the verse of tadabbur. Okay. And he said, and this is Ibn Atiyah, he's a, a scholar who passed away in the 7th century. He wrote an incredible book of tafsir. He said that one of the lessons we learn from this verse is that it is better to recite the Quran slowly than to recite it fast. And I thought to myself, how does that verse teach you to recite the Quran slowly? Yeah. And then I thought about it. It's true because if the reason why Allah revealed the Quran is to contemplate, if you s- speed recite the Quran, yeah. you don't give your cha- mind a chance to think, mm. isn't it? If you read something 100 miles an hour, your mind doesn't even have a chance to think about it. Like when you go for Taraweeh and the, the Imam is Astaghfirullah, <laughs> Formula One Racer, yeah. you don't even catch one word, mm. let alone reflect over it. So Ibn Atiyah said that verse teaches us it's better to recite the Quran slowly than to recite it quickly. So that was his reflection from, I mean, that obviously, that level of reflection is a high level, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, for many of us, that's not possible. That's what I mean by, it's of grades, it depends. Mm. There's the basic level, intermediate level, advanced level, scholarly level. Because I guess our focus is more on uh, reciting or, you know, how many khatam can I do, you know, of the, of yeah. the Quran. Um, yeah, so let me try and do one khatam of the Quran a month, which is, like we're saying, we're not, we're not saying it's a bad thing per se, yeah. but do you feel like we need to just, take our time a bit more and you know just ponder maybe um and i guess you mentioned as well uh, translations right yes so is that is that where you would start and is that something you should just continue relying on or does that have its own pitfalls as well no i think as a short term as a short term fix as a short term plan every person should invest in a good translation of quran um some of the better translations of quran i used to be 
really keen on the Aisha Beauty translation, mm. the Abdul Halim translation by Oxford Press. But recently I've been reading Dr. Mustafa Khattab translation, which is called The Clear Quran. Mm. Uh, all three of these can be bought on Amazon, by the way. But Dr. Mustafa Khattab's translation for me stands head and shoulders above the, the rest at the moment. It's number one, the English is easy to understand. Yeah. Okay, there's no thou's and uh, lows and all the rest of it yeah. which you think is Arabic but it's in fact English and nor does it have much brackets in it either that's one thing secondly he manages to capture the spirit of the meaning okay. into the English language the thing about being a good translator is you have to be a master of both languages mm-hmm. yeah so you know Arabic fantastic but have you mastered English so yeah. you might be you might understand what should be said in English but you can't say in English Mm. And that's a, the problem with a lot of translations that men, they, They're very good But uh, sometimes You need a translation for the translation And that's a problem <laughs> You don't understand the translation What's the yeah, purpose yeah. of the translation right? So my advice is look, Buy a copy of translation of Quran Then have a one year target And the target is to go through it cover to cover Cover mm. to cover And just by doing that You would have increased your knowledge of Quran exponentially yeah, I, I remember on Sundays mornings I used to go for a jog right? and I jog past a church and at that time in the morning there's lots of uh, families going to church a lot of um, uh, families that are from Nigeria yeah. and Ghana and they're going there dressed in their best clothes and they all have a Bible in their hand now I saw that many of them their Bibles they have you know the annotated uh, little stickies yeah, yeah. coming out of it Okay. And the pages are worn out as well. So when they go there and the preacher speaks, they open their Bible and they go to that verse and they will highlight it and they put a sticky there and their yeah. Bibles look like you know they've been revising them. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Subhanallah, these are people. They have a book, which is half the truth, if mm. that. It has been distorted. We have the complete truth in the Quran, but how many of us have ever studied the Quran, read it? Try to understand what Allah is saying or sat in the presence of someone teaching it. And it made me think, man, this is a problem. Yeah. We need to shift away from that, man. That's That needs to be history for us. Yeah. So the first thing is, buy a good translation, have a yearly target to read the English translation uh, cover to cover, inshallah. Inshallah. I mean, coming towards the end now, um, it's been really interesting, but I, I want to I just bring out some practical tips now. Mm. Um, how we can, you know, how, how the listeners, because many, many, many of the listeners and, and, and the viewers, you know, they, they maybe haven't studied the Arabic language. They might not have the, the opportunity to do so. Um, and others might. But how can we start bringing the Quran into our lives? Do you have any tips for, for us? Okay, so one tip I like to always... Um, make mention of is to have a family day with the Quran and the family day is very simple one evening you your wife your children sit around the table you open up the translation of Quran you read one of the small surahs from the last para from the last juz you read the Arabic maybe you get your child to read the translation and then all you do is say what do we learn from this mm. like we just read surah uh, ikhlas yes and you read the translation that say he is uniquely one, uh, the one who has no need and takes care of the needs of others, and he has no son. Mm. Like children and you know my wife, husband. What do we learn from that? Have a discussion, and then when someone says something, you will find that another person wants to say something, mm. and then another person wants to say something, and that time is quality time. 
uh, and that's what they call in Arabic mudarasa. Mudarasa is the idea of not teacher-led but discussion-led. Right. Yeah, and that's the that's one of the most effective ways of learning the Quran. Of course, somebody may say something which you're not sure whether it's right or not. No problem. We'll check it. Maybe we'll go to the Imam the next day. Say, Imam, we're reading this verse, and you know, mm. we thought of this. Is it okay? And then you get your answer. Or you may say, you know what? Allah alam. We don't know whether that's correct or not. Let's move on to something which we are sure of. Mm. So there's always ways, you know, to kind of govern that teaching, but it must be something that's done every week. And I'm aware of many people that do this, and their children benefit immensely. Yes, the children benefit immensely. That, that's that's one practical tip. Yeah. Uh, another tip uh, that I have is that whatever part of the Quran you've memorized, go online, find the tafsir of that surah, and learn it. Because that surah you read in the salah. When you know the interpretation and the tafsir of that surah, your salah will be transformed. Yeah. Because you're reading that surah and you're thinking about the meanings and you're in that time worshipping Allah and then your khushu will start to come in as well. So go online, every every surah that you memorize, make sure you learn the tafsir of it. Mm, brilliant. So family time and uh, and basically your own reflection as well, yep. studying a bit more and, and finding out. Alhamdulillah. It's a really good tips. And uh, hopefully, inshallah, our listeners and viewers, they take inshallah. this on board. Inshallah. I hope so. I hope so. And uh, they're able to, to connect with the Quran more because I think that's what we discussed. You know, it's not just about... Um, reading and it's not just about memorizing but also it's about connecting with the Quran making it relevant I think that's, that's the right. most important lesson that I've personally taken away um, whereby it's not just stories it's not just rulings but actually it can relate to us um, so inshallah uh, you know it's something that I've learned as well so Jazakallah khairan Sheikh thank you so much for, for your time Thank you. And um, to all our listeners and viewers, we hope you've enjoyed and um, learnt a lot from this. It's, it's, it's a very practical um, episode, this one about the Quran. And it's probably one of the best topics that we can really discuss on any platform. So alhamdulillah, uh, we had the opportunity to sit with um, Sheikh Asim and to learn a lot from him. Barakallahu feekum. Thank you so much once again for tuning in and for listening. We hope you benefited. Uh, make sure, inshallah, uh, you pick up those Qur'ans and learn more. And also, uh, inshallah, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, keep an eye out for future episodes coming your way very, very soon. From myself, Shabir, and the rest of us, till next time, Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.